If you want to find the book of 1 Peter in your Bible, uh, don't worry if you won't, don't have it. The words will appear as if by magic on the screen behind me in a moment. Just before we get into 1 Peter, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, two weeks ago, was it two weeks ago? Three weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we had a gift day here where everybody gave money into part of the wider mission and the family of churches that we're part of and to help support starting new churches like this one uh, in cities elsewhere in Europe. And also we gave into some things that we're doing here as Liberty Church, including renting some more space in this building on a Sunday. Uh, And we raised 14,100 euros, which is amazing. Um, if you, and that was just from us here, this church. I don't know how much we raised because we were taking this offering together with three other churches. I don't know how much we've raised together, but I'll let you know when I know that. If you still want to give into that gift day, maybe you missed that Sunday and really love to get involved, you still can. Just go to our website um, and you can give there. And if you just, when you make your uh, your payment, if you just write that it's particularly for the gift day, uh, we make sure it gets allocated to the right place. Um, okay, right, 1 Peter. Joe, do you want to just come and read the passage? And I'll, I'm going to control it. Let's this. Watch this. Da, 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 da. Thanks, Besh. Okay, so in 1 Peter 3, verse 1 to 7, likewise, wives, Be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, you have to stop drinking and make it go over to the next page. Oh, you're waiting for me. Just a second. Wow. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) I'm going to stand over here. I'm going to engage now. I'm I'm with it. Thanks, Dolan. Okay. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewellery, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Is there not another verse? Oh, wait. No, sorry. There is. Yeah. Here we go. Likewise, husbands. (laughs) (laughs) He was hoping to just gloss over this bit. Likewise, husbands. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay. Let me pray and hope my prayer isn't hindered by my inability to control properly. Okay. Jesus, we thank you so much that you're alive. We got to celebrate that last weekend on... Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, that you're alive and you're with us. And we thank you that's not just a one day a year reality, but that's an everyday reality. That Jesus, you've conquered death, that you've won this amazing victory that you've called us into. uh, And you've called us now to follow you. 
to walk in your footsteps. Um, not because we have to to try and earn something, but because it's just the best way to live. And we, as we look at this passage this morning, we pray you give us wisdom to, uh, from your word to understand what you're saying to us. I pray you speak to us and guide us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I saw on the news uh, a few weeks ago uh, a story about a guy called Mad Mike Hughes. Has anyone heard of Mad Mike Hughes? Um, I'm not being derogatory. He calls himself Mad Mike Hughes. He's got a website. You can go and check him out. And basically, he, he'd gone onto the internet, um, which is always a bad thing to do. <laughs> and he'd done all this research, and he'd come to the conclusion that possibly the world, the earth, might be flat rather than a, than a globe. Um, if you go and try and research things on YouTube, that's normally a bad start, but that's what he did. Uh, so he came to the conclusion that he wasn't certain, but he was almost convinced that the world was flat. So what he decided to do was build himself a rocket in his garden uh, and fire himself into space so he could see for himself. Because he thought, you know, I'm not going to just listen to YouTube. I want to know for certain for myself whether the Earth is flat or a globe. So he, he literally did this, um, I think it was just before Christmas or just after Christmas, he fired himself about um, 2,000 meters up into the sky, which is quite a long way if you think about it. And then he, um, his rocket had a parachute and he kind of floated back down. And he's not a young guy, he's quite an old guy. So this is quite an impressive thing to do and, and quite uh, you know, a bit of lunacy. And you might be getting a little bit worried and think that I'm going to suggest that maybe the Earth is flat. I'm not going to suggest that. Um, but what, what's, what's interesting about this guy, although he's perhaps a little bit, um, you know, has a weird way of making decisions and trying to figure things out, but he wanted to find this out for himself, and he realized the way to do that was you have to pull out and get a kind of broader perspective. You have to, get, you have to zoom out and get a different angle of what's going on. And in the world around us, Lots of people are saying lots of things about issues of gender and men and women, who we are as male and female, how we're supposed to relate to one another, what it is to be uh, male and female. People say all sorts of things like even gender is just a social construct, as in it's just something uh, that we've decided and doesn't actually mean anything. People are tearing down all sorts of different things about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And what we're going to do today is to, to try and zoom out and get a different perspective. Because if we just stay and we listen to all the competing voices of what the world around us is trying to say, it can be very confusing on all sorts of different issues, but particularly on this one. So today we're going to do a bit of a mad Mike Hughes and zoom out and get a bit of a broader perspective of what the Bible is saying to us. And basically, through history, um, different cultures have interpreted the issue of men and women in two different ways. They either decide that men and women are fundamentally different, so they build everything around the fact that men and women are different. Or they say men and women are, are equal, and they build everything around the fact that men and women are, are equal. Um, and what I want to suggest to us today is that those two things don't have to be competing. They don't have to stand opposite to one another as we have to do one or the other. That men and women can be equal, but at the same time, equality doesn't mean sameness. 
we can be equal but different in who we are and how we function and what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. And if we get that right, that can be a powerful, releasing, beautiful, empowering thing for both men and, and for women. Because often what we tend to do is we tend to, um, often we can over-accentuate the differences so I'm sure you've heard, I think it's the title of a book, but people use the phrase all the time that men are from Mars and women are from Venus, um, which obviously isn't true because I'm not a Martian. And what is it to be someone from Ven a Venetian or is that just someone from Venice? I don't know. But Joe isn't from, from Venus. You know, we're not, that's men and women. Men and women are made in the image of God. So there's actually, there's, there's an equality there. And ultimately, we're made in his image. We're not these completely different things taken from different planets and then forced to try and live together. God has made us, actually, with a lot of similarities, a lot of things which are true about us. Um, but then our response can be to sort of eradicate and squash down the things that are different about us. Rather, we should see them as things that we can celebrate, things how we can serve one another how we can serve the world around us. Some things that really, as men and women, we get to reflect differently, different elements of God's character, of what God is like. Because in the world around us, what you'll hear a lot is the phrase that the most important thing is to be true to yourself. It's a sort of, you know, one of those little kind of picture meme phrases that pops up on social media. People say all the time, most important thing is you should be true to yourself, which isn't necessarily wrong, but if you build everything around that premise that for all of us, we just need to be true to ourselves, I think you're slightly going to end up on, on shaky ground because do you even know really who you are <laughs> and what, what you're like? You know, what I thought I was like five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago when I was a teenager, I'm not like that anymore. I've changed. And even now, do I really know myself? I'm not sure I necessarily do all the time. I, you know, Joe will make a comment and I think, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I never realized that I was like that, but I am. But yet we think we know ourselves and the only thing that matters is what I think and what I believe about myself. But that can be a dangerous place to put us upon. And actually, the most important question is not what are you like and who are you, but who is God? What, what's he like? And how has he made you? Because it is important to know yourself and to know what you're like. But the most important thing is knowing how God has made you. What, what he's made you to be, how he's created you. Discover what your image of God is that is in your heart, in your life. And rather than just be true to yourself, be true to how God has made you. If you build on that, that's a much more solid and stable foundation. You've noticed in this passage that, that Joe read is it talks about uh, the issue of submission talks about um, a wife submitting to her own husband and for some of you that's going to be a shocking thing to say so let me just explain a little bit about what that's saying to us 
first of all, but before we answer what this is, what submission is, each of you guys will need to make a choice within your hearts, and probably a choice that you'll have to carry on making, is whether you're going to build your life on the Word of God, uh, whether you're going to treat that as um, either an obstacle that you're always trying to get around and trying to, oh, it doesn't really mean that, it doesn't really mean this, I'll ignore that bit, something that actually ends up getting in the way of what you believe, or, as you, if, or instead to see the Bible as a lamp to your feet, which is how the Bible describes itself, as in something that guides our path. And we have to make that choice. Am I going to let the Bible be an obstacle that I'm going to spend my life fighting against and disagreeing with, or am I going to submit myself, basically, to, to God, to his word, and say, well, rather than me trying to shape the Bible all the time, I want the Bible to shape me and what I think and how I feel. Because you can either set your feet on the, the solid rock of who God is and what he said to us. If you don't do that, you will end up on a roller coaster your entire life. Because if you say, well, the world around us says something different, and it does, but in a year's time, it will say something else. And in five years' time, it will say something completely different. The things that the world says about gender now, it wasn't saying 10 years ago. It wasn't saying 20 years ago, and in 10 years' time, it will say something else. It will even sometimes contradict itself. And if you say, well, I'm just going to agree with the zeitgeist, with popular opinion, that's going to be changing all the time, depending on what people say, on who you're listening to. And you'll spend your life on this roller coaster of ups and downs, not really ever having anything solid. Because what people say in the world isn't based on anything solid. Because it's, it's just based on whoever shouts loudest. And if you base your life on what the Bible says, you've got something solid, something concrete to build your life upon. And also, it's worth saying that, as well, we have to understand that what the Bible says about men and women, particularly what it says about women, is, is actually very radical. Particularly at the time, it was revolutionary. The way Jesus treated women was frowned upon and looked down upon. The fact that he would even talk to women at a time in the culture would have, would have been a, uh, something that they definitely wouldn't have encouraged. The common belief in both custom and law at the time was that men were always superior. That's what they would have believed. And yet the Bible comes and says something completely different. It doesn't say that at all. The society would have been hierarchical with men at the top. And again, the Bible comes and strips that all away and says, well, that's just not how God's kingdom works. And even in regards to this passage, um, where it's talking about uh, uh, women uh, winning their husbands to the, to, to the word of God without saying a word. At the time, women were just supposed to believe what their husbands believed. And that was it. You just, well, my husband said so, so I'll just do what he says. Um, and if women disagreed and tried to follow their own paths, often the men were even encouraged to beat them, as, as in to, to say, well, no, no, just don't do that. That's wrong. Believe what I believe. 
So yet when, when the Bible comes and says what Peter's saying here, this is actually quite revolutionary, and that's important we understand that. And this whole idea of submission, it's not a negative thing. That's something you're going to have to wrestle with, is that in the world around us, to submit sounds negative, sounds like a weakness, and it isn't at all. In the Bible, it isn't at all. To submit isn't a negative thing in any way, because we see that even Jesus submits. So to submit is to be like Jesus. We were talking last week in, in 1 Peter about how uh, Jesus gives himself in obedience to his father, the judge who judges justly. He just says, well, I'm just going to, I'll follow your will. Jesus submits his life on the cross to the will of the father. That's a radical submission. That is, it's not a negative thing at all. And not even, it's not even just at the cross. Let me find this verse here. It says this in 1 Corinthians. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Basically, what's that saying is, is that within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's the same, one God, three persons. Um, but each of the persons with different roles, different things that they do. And within the Godhead, submission. The Son, for all eternity, Jesus is submitting to his Father. So for us to then say submission is bad, is we're questioning the very nature of who God is and, and, and how God exists within himself. So we need to be very careful before we belittle what the Bible says about this. Also, the Bible says that all believers submit to one another. Ephesians 5, we should submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. So all of us are supposed to submit to one another. If you think you're somehow above that, that submission is, is a horrible thing, that, I don't want to do that, then you're completely misunderstanding this commandment here. We're supposed to, all of us, submit to one another. And this is, I think that's, a, that's a quite a radical picture of what the world could look like if we live lives where we sought to serve one another, to even sometimes sacrifice our own desires and preference for other people, to live selflessly for one another. That's how the Bible tells us to live as Christians to put other people before ourselves. And if we did that, the world would look very different from how it does. If we all just decided, you know what, I'm just gonna live my life in service to everybody else. Because out of a reverence for Christ, I'm gonna serve him by serving other people. That's a really radical statement. Also, it's important to say that the Bible doesn't say that all women should submit to all men. It says in Ephesians 5, verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So it's not that wives should submit to other people's husbands, it's wives submit to your own husbands. But then it also goes on to say a few verses later, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Marriage is this beautiful picture of our redemption, 
of what Jesus has done for us. And it's, it's a hard calling, both for the women and for the men. So you might feel uncomfortable with us saying, wives, submit to your husbands. But uh, and in a way, hopefully you do. And hopefully the guy should feel uncomfortable with, I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church. Because how did Jesus love the church? He died on a cross for us. <laughs> that's, that's a high calling. That's a difficult calling. That's hard. And those two have to come together. If it's just one or the other, it doesn't work. It's, they come together in a partnership. And that's what, how marriage is designed to function. And if, if we understand this, as I said at the start, that there's equality between men and women, but different roles, and God's made us to do different things. And if we let this loose in our lives and in our marriages for those who are married here, it will be a beautiful, affirming, releasing, empowering thing. So I'm going to hand over to Jo, and she's going to help apply some of these verses for us. Thanks, Matt. Let's do a little dance across the stage. Don't trip. Hey. So I'm going to just draw out from this passage um, five um, characteristics of holy women. Um, the first one is that they lead their husbands. We saw in that first verse, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And so actually, as wives, we have this great privilege of leading our husbands to Christ in the way that we act. Um, it talks about our respectful and pure conduct. And I just want to say first off that um, for every single person in this room, we are differently made. We are differently different characters. And so for every marriage in this room, your marriage is going to probably look a little bit different than ours does. So for each household, these things are going to look a bit different. So we're going to be going for biblical principles, not personal preferences. And when we're talking about winning our husbands by um, them obeying the word, it's obeying the word of God. It's not obeying the word of their wife. It's not the gospel according to Joe Simmons today. It's hopefully the gospel according to this book here. Okay, so the goal of this passage in winning our husbands is that we win them. It's not that we win the fight. It's not that we win the point. It's not like, okay, I notch up a point here and you notch up a point here. But actually, it's by our conduct that we lead them to Jesus. And for any of you who know me, you know that I'm quite wordy and that I talk a lot. Um, and that is my natural disposition. I just have a lot to say. But actually... No comment. To, <laughs> no comment would be you actually not speaking. <laughs> That's more fun this way. They left my microphone on, so... Hey, Benjamin, mute that mic. <laughs> um, so, one without a word. I'm demonstrating this beautifully. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so, sometimes winning our husbands without a word means that we just need to be a bit wise in what we say and when we say it. And I have a dear friend who, when sharing her story with a group of women, said something that has just stuck with me for the last 
16 or so years. And she was saying, it's not that we don't have anything to say, but actually when we do notice something that we need to say that needs to bring a word of correction or direction or just, hey, I've noticed this, is that she would go away and pray about it first. She wouldn't just come and just be like, here is all the stuff that I've noticed in your life that needs to be worked on. But actually, she'd just go away and pray it and before she says anything. And so I think just for us as women, it's just wise for us just to just take a moment, just to come before God. Part of our being subject to our husbands is that we are subject first to God. And we just come to him and say, God, I need your help. I want to be able to communicate this well. I want to communicate this with love and affirmation. Okay, so how do we lead our husbands to Christ? It's by our conduct. And it talks here about our conduct being respectful and pure. And so what does that look like? And that for me looks like being respectful in the way that I talk about Matt and the way that I talk to him. I'm not pretending for a minute that I get this right every moment. My daughters are on the front row so they can vouch that mummy doesn't always speak respectfully to daddy. But and it is something that I am aiming for. Um, and so what does that look like in the way we talk? And um, as I was reflecting on this and um, looking back on 16 years of marriage, um, when we first used to go around to people's houses for dinner, we'd have to pray in the car on the way, just, God, would you please help me to speak honorably? Would you help me to speak respectfully to my husband? I kind of noticed that in my own insecurity, when we were with other people, I'd just kind of rip shreds off Matt, just belittle everything he said and just tear him down. And we'd kind of get back in the car and Matt would be like, what was that about? I'm just like, I don't know. It was not pretty. We weren't fun to hang out with at the beginning. But anyway, we don't have to do that so much anymore because we want, I want to be winning him um, with my respect for him. And I want my public and private life to look the same, that how I speak to him in our home is the same as how I speak to him in front of other people. And both of those can be a little bit tempting to like, well, in, in private, like who sees really like the kids see, but that doesn't really matter. But actually it does matter and it matters that God sees and he sees my heart and he sees how I speak to him. And actually he's asked me to speak to my husband with respect and in a way that actually I want to be his biggest fan in whatever context we're in. But then the temptation on the, pri on the public side is that we can be then like... I just, he did something that was a bit annoying. Let me try and find someone who'll be on my team who will like take my side in the argument. But actually we want to be making sure that when we speak to people about our husbands, that we want to be honoring to them. And then for purity, I think as well for me, I just have to be really wise in what I read and what I watch again earlier in our marriage. I, lo I love reading and I love books, but I learned quite early on that there's just some books that are not good for my head. I'm quite visual. I get quite engrossed in a story, in a good story. And we would have some spectacular arguments and Matt would be like, what is going on? And I'd have got so entrenched in a character in a book that I was just putting it onto him. And it was like, I didn't, I didn't do that. That wasn't me. And it's like, oh no, that was someone in my book. Like, how crazy is that? <laughs> That's fun to live with. But um, so for me, being pure is just guarding my heart, just guarding what I read, what I watch. For you, it may be different. You might not get so entrenched in a book, and that's fine. Um, but it might just be who you're spending time with, who you're looking for affirmation from. And that's not to say that we can't be friends with other males. That's not what I'm saying at all. But actually... 
they can't guess what we're thinking all the time. I don't know about you, but my husband can't read my mind. And so it's actually just being able to have the conversation of like, this is how I'm feeling. This is where I'm lacking affirmation or affection and making sure we first come to God for that, but then come to our husbands too. Okay, so first characteristic, we lead our husbands to Christ. Secondly, we wear imperishable beauty. And those verses talk about the hidden person of the heart. And the only person who sees our hearts is God. He sees it all. He knows it all. And so actually, we first and foremost live before him and love before him. And then we can just trust God for the journeys. We don't have to be trying to maintain this outer shell that is wasting away. A couple of weeks ago, I discovered my first gray hairs, and I was a little distressed. But there's no point in me investing lots of time and money and energy because one day it is all going to go gray. So let's just embrace it and get on with it. But um, we can... um, We can just wear imperishable beauty and actually God makes beauty in us by taking us on journeys that mean sometimes there's squeeze points in our life. Sometimes there's moments where things are hard and we just have to learn to press into him. But that's when God's working on the inner person, the hidden person of our hearts. He's making us more like him. It says in 1 Samuel that the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I want to be someone who spends time investing in that hidden person, not worrying about this outer person who is going a bit gray and is getting a few more wrinkles, because that's just wasted investment. I want to invest in something that's eternal. It says in 2 Corinthians, so we do not lose heart, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And we want to live as women in a place of being renewed day by day, coming before God. It says that we're made like him one degree at a time. It's not going to all happen overnight, but we come and we just invest time with making our hearts more and more like Jesus. Okay, so thirdly characteristic of a quiet of um, a godly woman holy woman is to be quiet and gentle and like I said for those of you who know me well I am not quiet and I'm not particularly gentle um, but that's okay because I'm made in the image of God and he doesn't call me to be quiet and like a mouse and like all subdue submitting isn't being subdued just they sound similar they're not the same um We want to be like Jesus, don't we? That's like the end goal, whether we're married or single, whether we're in a relationship or not. The end goal is actually becoming more like him. And it says in Matthew, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. Jesus was name. He wasn't quiet and gentle when he tore the temple apart. He wasn't quiet and gentle in sharing the gospel with thousands, millions of people seeing them healed. But his his character and the inner hidden person of his heart was gentle and quiet. That when it came to him facing the cross, he came away and prayed. And I think for me. Um, having a gentle and quiet spirit isn't the same as being quiet and gentle and not having anything to say, but it's actually when those squeeze points happen, when God is shake, shaking, shaking, 
shaping my character. It's actually that actually my, my spirit and my soul is still the same, that actually I'm steadfast in believing him and believing who he says he is rather than watching what my circumstances may dictate or what the culture around me is saying, actually, that I can still be gentle and quiet in spirit, just trusting that, um, that just judge that we looked at last week, that actually... Um, our example is Jesus, that he was led like a lamb, that he was in quiet submission to the Father and that actually we're following in his footsteps, we're following in the example that he's given us and so therefore we can trust him who judges justly to, um, to help us to, to maintain our steadfastness even when things around us are shifting. Okay. Fourthly, they hope in God. Now, part of um, what we just read, I'm just going to go back to verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And um, submission, like Matt has already said, can be a bit of a like word for us. We can find it a little bit prickly, but actually first and foremost, we submit out of reverence to Christ. Actually, when we see him and know him and understand who he is and who we are in him, it's not an easy thing, but it becomes an easier thing to live in the good of all that he's done and all that he's walked before us. And so it does sometimes mean that we lay down our preferences. It does sometimes mean that I don't get my own way, but it's not that I'm then going Matt's way, it's that I'm going Jesus's way, that I'm following after um, him. And I think Matt has just got some things that he'd like to say. I just wanted to give you guys a, a kind of a, a bit more of a live example of... Normally, it's, you've ruined my thing here. So here you go. Ruined? It's just all out of place. Interesting. All out of place. It's just had a feminine touch to it. Assisted, it's, uh, thrown me. <laughs> but I just wanted to give you guys a live example of what this looks like in our, our marriage. Actually, I'll give you two examples. The first was, actually, before we got married, we were engaged. and I had spent a year in a town called Torquay, which is in the southwest of England. Uh, and I'd grown up in a place called Bedford, which was about a four-hour drive away, which is where Joe was living. Um, and I was happy. We were engaged. We were going to get married in a few months. Um, and, and I was happy living in Torquay, and part of me wanted Joe to come and move where I was, you know, and I'm the husband, I'm the man, so she should come where I am. But actually, the thing is, I didn't have a job. <laughs> I'd spent a year serving a church there uh, and just living in the home of a family. I didn't have anywhere to live or a job. And Joe had both of those things in Bedford, and we had friends there, we had family there. So in the end, I just had to say, well, you know what? Although I've had this great year, I'm going to sacrifice that for my wife, and I'm going to move back to Bedford to be with her. I didn't really want to, but if, if I'd had some good reasons for Joe to move, or maybe if God had spoken to me and said really clearly, you need to be here, but none of those things happened. And I thought that sometimes what it, what it is to be a husband is to sacrifice and say, actually, for Joe and for us and for our marriage, it's going to be much better if I move back. So that's what we did. Um, the second example, this is much more of a live example. So at the moment, Joe and I are looking to buy a house. 
and the housing market in Amsterdam is crazy. Um, so there's, it's uber silly expensive um, and is a huge challenge. And our main aim, or one of our main aims, was to move closer to where our kids go to school. So at the moment, we're about two and a half kilometers, so we have to cycle there every day. We don't have a car, so it gets quite tiring. Plus, all their friends live around the school. We thought, we just want to get closer to that community and live amongst their friends and within walking distance of the school if we could. But we couldn't find anywhere, well, we still can't find anywhere to live near there. There aren't any houses on the market. Those that come up are very expensive. Um, and then we, we, about six weeks ago, we found a house that was, we could afford it. It was a really lovely house. Everything about it was, was spot on, apart from the fact that it wasn't any closer to the kids' school. It was two and a half kilometers away from the kids' school, but just this time in, in the other direction. Um, and we kind of thought about it a lot, and, um, and Joe wasn't quite so keen, but I thought, let's just go for it. We'll, we'll make it work somehow. So um, we, we kind of got in touch with the agent, we went and visited, we got the, the, the form to make an, an offer, and I filled in the, the form, ready to make this offer on this house, and, and God just kind of spoke to me and gave me a gentle, gracious slap around the face, and said, well, what are you doing? Um, and Joe was wonderfully submitting to me and saying, well, Matt, I, I trust you, you know, I'll, I'll follow you, but... The, what I wasn't doing is I wasn't submitting to God. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I was just trying to make it work. That any way I can just, with my own ability, make it work somehow. And God said, Matt, if, if, if I want you to move closer to the kids' school, I'll make it happen. You know, why are you trying to force this yourself? I mean, I was just trusting in what I could do. And I wasn't trusting in what God had said and who he is. So I had to submit myself to God and say, well, we can't do this. I had to listen to my wife because she's being wise here. Her caution is, is something that I need to listen to and respond to. So we didn't make an offer. It was the end of the story. Good one. Thanks. It's me. Um, and that kind, of, that kind of submission for me is made possible because at the, in the end of the day, like Matt said, he wasn't like submitting to God, but I knew there would come a crunch point where he would. Like, there's a pattern of behavior that I know in the long run yours, that Matt's seeking God first. And so then I can just faithfully follow him and trust him and ultimately trusting in the unchanging nature of God. Okay, so finally from me, last characteristic, they are good um, and courageous or they, yeah. So how, in what way do we do good? And I think the way that we do good is that we have a right fear of God, that we are in reverence and awe of who he is and what he has done for us. And so when we're worrying less about us and how it's going to work out for us and fixing our eyes on him, I think by knowing God and knowing what he's like, that we can do good out of that place. And it goes on to say that they fear nothing that's frightening. And actually, we can come and we can put our trust in the one who is faithful to us. And as we come and serve him first, as we are obedient to the tasks that he's put in front of us to do today, um, 
then we can know that he'll keep us. It says in Proverbs 3, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Our confidence is in him and him alone and we can trust him. And so we can do good by living for him, knowing he'll protect us, knowing he'll walk with us, knowing that he'll go before us. And so we can be good, do good and be courageous because we know who God is. I'm going to hand over to you. Just, uh, we've got one more verse that we haven't covered yet, which actually we're going to speak about next week. And we'll talk about husbands a little bit next week. But I just wanted to make a couple of comments on this um, because it does talk about women and wives a little more. And it says that here that to show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, which again may be a part of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We shouldn't, but we shouldn't. <laughs> you think? See, now I want to do it. Just to, Okay, we won't go there. <laughs> I think it's important to say that the Bible isn't talking about um, ability or emotional stability um, or not even necessarily talking about physical strength, although in most cases men are physiologically stronger, but it's not even talking about that. What it's talking about here is vulnerability. Um, if you see in the culture at the moment, the whole Me Too campaign is about men exploiting women's vulnerabilities. And as men, we, that's, that's abhorrent. We shouldn't do that. We need to show honor to them and not exploit those things. And that we're gonna talk about that a little bit more next week Women in a relationship, any sort of relationship, should feel, should feel safe and should feel honored um, in all sorts of different ways. And that's, we, we might take that for granted, but sadly that isn't the case. Joe and I are um, in relationship with, a, with a, a family through the kids' school um, and the, the husband and wife are in a really tricky, horrid situation. And she said to Joe the other day that she doesn't feel safe at home. Not that she necessarily feels physically threatened, but just in how he's treating her in lots of different ways, she just finds incredibly uncomfortable. And we found that, that shocking. We didn't really, you know, we'll pray for them. There's not really much more we can do than pray and show them as much support as we can. But that, that shouldn't happen in relationships. And we will talk about that a little bit more next week. Um, but I wanted to finish just with what it says here as well, that uh, we should show honor since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. <laughs> we'll explain what that means as well next week. But the important thing here is that when the Bible talks about equality, it's, it's hugely empowering and important because it says that we're co-heirs with the grace of life. We're co-heirs with Christ, which is, is huge. And actually, the thing is, is that this is, this actually is much more important and a much bigger issue than that of just equality, because it isn't actually talking about equality. That's not the thrust of what the Bible says. What it's actually talking about is unity, which is a very different thing, because equality is, is people kind of striving to 
to, to raise themselves up to a sense of they're up there, so I need to be equal with them. And all the time, ending up, what happens is when we end up pushing each other down to push ourselves up. That's what equality is, and a reaching up all the time. Whereas unity is something completely different. The unity that the Bible talks about is about Jesus coming down to us. He's come down to us as our savior. He's come and he's broken into our lives. And he's not, he's, he's, he's come into the, the mess and the brokenness of humanity and made his home to dwell amongst us. And then he's called us out of that into this. Uh, what it means to be an heir is that might not be something that's so obvious in our world, but 2,000 years ago, or even if you think about a royal family today, it's the firstborn son that becomes the heir. And that would have been true of families for hundreds of thousands of years, that it was the firstborn that the parents would put the most attention to, because he, he's the most important one. And that's what would happen with a royal family. The firstborn will put all our focus on him because he's going to get the inheritance. He's going to get the family jewels. He's going to get everything that we own. He's going to take that forward into the future. But now it's saying for all of us that we're co-heirs with Christ, that his inheritance in the kingdom of God, he's chosen to share with us. So sometimes we can fight and strive for equality. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But actually what we need to fight for in our lives is to understand the grace of God poured out for us. That he's called us into this beautiful unity and relationship with him. It says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's nor no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus Paul, in this letter in Galatians, he's not abolishing those things and saying that male and female doesn't exist, but he's saying in the, in the eyes of God, in terms of how God sees us when it comes to how equal we are, none of these categories exist. He looks on us as his beloved people, his sons and daughters who he loves. It says in, I'll close with this verse from Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Um, let's stop and we can stand and respond in worship. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've called us now to be your, to be your children. And um, all the time, God, in the world around us, people are striving for equality. And when we see inequality, as believers, we should be those that come in and, and rush to fix that. We don't want to see inequality. We don't want to see people downtrodden and broken and hurt. But at the same time, what we ultimately want to see is people living as children of God, called into this unity with you, Father, co-heirs with Christ, your sons and daughters in your kingdom, your family, and there's no greater privilege, there's no greater inheritance than any of us could receive. And we want to put our trust in you, Jesus. We want to be that. The thing we strive for is to know you, is to know you, to know the fullness of what it is 
to be your sons and your daughters, to live in all the goodness of what it is to be chosen, to be part of your family. Thank you, God.